Kiora, it's Friday the 24th of May and I'm Terry Boucher, Taxpert. Welcome to the Week in Tax. Within this week, we're talking with, I'm talking, joined here by my co-author of Tax and Fairness, Deborah Russell, M, who's now the MP from New Lynn. Morena. Good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, this is fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, you were on the Finance and Expenditure Select Committee. Yeah. Uh, that's quite, which is responsible for all the tax legislation. Mm. What, just briefly, what role, what else does it cover? Who else, Inland Revenue Commissioner reports to, to you as sure. well? But there's two big sort of chunks of work that we do. One is reviewing legislation as it comes through. Mm -hmm. And so we review any legislation that kind of has financial implications or concerns itself with finance matters. So we're looking at uh, the Credit Contracts Act at the moment. Uh, we've been looking at um, um, some derivatives legislation. <laughs> we're looking at uh, the Infrastructure Commission that um, is going to be set up. And uh, obviously, we look at tax legislation that comes to us. So that's a big chunk of our work. The other big chunk of our work is the annual reviews um, of government departments. People kind of forget that. Parliament has an oversight role for how uh, the government is mm -hmm. behaving, um, the executive. So we actually need to review what government departments are doing, review what ministers are doing, um, and hold them to account. So that's every minister and every department pretty much must report to the FEC and say, here's our annual report and mm. all the rest of it. But we allocate a lot of them out to other committees. Uh -huh. So in, in theory, all those annual reviews come to us. In FEC, in practice, they get allocated to committees of interest. So mm. I sit, actually I chair the Environment Committee. So we, at Environment Committee, we do all the work for Ministry for the Environment and the Department of Conservation and the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment and Predator Free 2050, anything that's kind of in that environmental space. Oh, that's yeah. Fine. A hell of a lot of work. You must be, you must be reading nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of work. Yeah. Actually, Finance and Expenditure Committee is busy. It has a lot of reading associated with it. We can often get a chunk of papers, you know, three or four, I was going to say inches, that's a bit old-fashioned, isn't it? Yeah. You know, 10 centimetres. 10 centimetres. <laughs> 10 centimetres in modern money. Yeah, 10 centimetres high. Um, I'm just trying to shift myself through to reading it all online. Mm -hmm. I do quite like working with paper. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm old-fashioned like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the legislation, obviously, you're going through, you've, you've got a bill in Parliament right now, and this is a, one that's caused, uh, is not terribly welcome, uh, in some parts of it, um, the loss, one one part of it is loss, yeah. um, uh, ring fencing. Yeah, so... Where's that at at this stage? Right, so that bill, uh, actually I can't recall, is, is it called the annual tax rates, uh, yeah. GST something or other? Yeah. Look, the big issues in it are um, uh, getting GST on online sales, basically, yeah. um, and uh, loss ring fencing. Those are the two big issues sitting in it. There's a few other things as well. Mm -hmm. That we've just finished that going through Finance and Expenditure Committee. Mm -hmm. So what happens is the bill gets its first reading in the House yeah. um, um, and then it gets referred to Finance and Expenditure Committee and we call for submissions on it. So you put in a submission on that bill, didn't you? We did. You did, did. Yeah. I did. Um, there was a yeah. um, couple of submissions on that because I'm yeah. also um, the accountant and tax agency of New Zealand. Right, so, of course, yeah. And, um, you know, various other tax and accounting people put in submissions on that bill. 
So we hear all those submissions. You also got quite a lot from the public on that. Yeah. People who were clearly going to be affected by the blueprints. Yeah, yeah, and they were basically saying, don't do it. Mm. Um, and I, um, of course they were. No one likes paying tax. Yeah. Um, uh, um, so we, we sit and hear all those, and we've got officials from Inland Revenue there working on the bill as well, and um, an independent tax expert, because you know, tax is quite complicated, and most MPs uh, don't uh, have a lot of tax knowledge in particular, though there's plenty of them with good business and economic experience. Um, so we talk about the submissions, and uh, the officials read them through, and they make recommendations to us based on those submissions about what we might need to change in the bill. Mm -hmm. So for example, on the ring fencing uh, rules, so that's you know the isolating residential rental losses and saying you've got to write them off against future profits, not against, yeah. yeah. Um, we had a number of um, submissions that came in saying to IRD drafters, the law drafters more or less saying, gosh, the way you've written these rules is really confusing. Could you tidy them up? I was one of them. But, uh, there was a very good submission that shows uh, I think NSA taxation. Uh, uh, they read uh, a very good submission that was on the matter. They were a mess. And there were terms we'd never seen before. Um, it, uh, yeah. Yeah. You'll be pleased to hear it's been tidied up. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good to hear the process yeah. works. So you know, we've 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 gone through that. And we've recommended specific changes to the bill, and the drafters have come back to us with the actual changes in the legislation. Mm -hmm. So we've done all that discussion and we've completed that in finance and expenditure now. Oh, wow. So we've reported it back to the House. And that means that once it's in the House, it'll get its second reading. Yeah. That'll, that'll be a series of 12 speeches or so on the mm -hmm. tax bill, which I love and other people duck for cover on. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll presumably be one of the speakers. Well, I certainly hope to be. Um, uh, and then it goes into the committee stage. Mm -hmm. So that's like the whole parliament, the whole house acts like a select committee examining the legislation in detail. We don't have submissions at that stage, but at that stage you can put up more amendments to the bill. They're called supplementary order papers or SOPs. Yeah. So if there's any last minute changes or anything where someone sitting in the parliament says, why have you guys done this? Shouldn't you have done that? And you can you can put through a law a change to the law at that stage. So we debate all those supplementary order papers and the um, bill itself. And at that stage, um, look on other stages of the bill, you can only speak once. At the committee stage, you can take I think up to four speeches on particular parts of the bill. Um, yeah. So you really can nut out a problem if you have to. So that's the committee stage. That'll happen sometime soon. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you have the third reading which is, again, a series of speeches on the bill. And that's that's a pretty um, formulaic debate. Yeah. Um, and after that, it becomes law if yeah. it's passed. Yeah. But uh, the on the loss ring fencing, yeah. this will affect quite a few clients, um, the proposal was it would take effect from 1st of April, yeah. the start of the 20, uh, like, I can't believe I'm saying this, the 2019-2020 tax year. Yeah. That is still the intention? Yes, or, it is. Yep. Right. Okay, so, so it has been retrospective. That is, a, you know, there, there, there will be a slightly retrospective ascent sort of, sort of to it. Yeah, yeah. but that's not that's, that's not unusual in legislation. Particularly not with tax legislation. Yeah. It does happen from time ta to time. It's more, yeah, tax legislation. Yeah. I've, I've seen that quite a bit. Um, that's just, uh, you know, tax. We've got really well defined 
periods from which something applies yeah. and this one is so clearly signalled that if anyone who owns a residential rental property didn't know about it by now, you'd sort of think, well, what are they doing in that business? Well, yes. Yeah. Uh, ignorance is uh, quite common. And we come across that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the process. <clears throat> when people, getting people involved in that, I mentioned that ordinary people, ordinary people, not non-tax specialists yeah. will submit. And, and, and I think it's great that they do because you have two processes. You have the written submissions and then you have the oral submissions. Yeah. And now, of course, with the use of um, video as well, you've got the ability for people who don't have to traipse down to Wellington to appear in front of you, which yeah. is really, really good. Because um, one of the criticisms I would have of the policy process is the ability for small businesses and individuals to actually contribute to the policy process is very restricted because mm. we don't have time and the resources. Mm. Um, and video links like I mean that's not there's no easy answer to that but how would you do you think that could be addressed what would be I well, mean, talking to your MP is obviously one thing you can talk to your MP um, but then you've got to rely on your MP getting involved in the process themselves mm -hmm. I actually think putting a submission in particularly with tax legislation is quite effective even if all your submission says is hurrah for this change I think it's going to be excellent or boo for this change it's going to have a real impact on me and my business yeah. uh, we actually need to hear that because tax isn't just technical it's also political it's about what you value and don't value yeah. um, and we need to hear from ordinary people non-tax people saying actually this is going to affect my life and here's how it's going to affect me um, mm -hmm. and so because we need to weigh up those considerations so that's one way of doing it is to put a submission in written submission is fine they, yeah. they all get read um, uh, what know, about um, the tax working group said that it received a number of um, uh, form submissions yeah. which were driven out by the taxpayers union but that actually happens in other places I think you, you, you've been involved with the euthanasia yeah no, I've um, had some hearings I've been to some of the hearings but I wasn't reading them but yeah no. we got form submissions on that I got look we got masses um, of form submissions on of all things, the um, Conservation Indigenous Fish Bill, um, and because you do. Mm -hmm. um, so what happens with form submissions is, um, you know, it's basically someone has written up a form and all you have to do is add your name to it and put it in. Mm -hmm. And uh, what tends to happen with those is they get counted, mm -hmm. right? If they're all the same, we don't sit and hear every single one, um, or you don't, certainly don't read the same words over and over again. But you count up the number of form submissions and um, you say, well, uh, Greenpeace facilitated a form submission and we received 3,468 mm -hmm. of these forms. That's quite valuable information because it says to uh, the minister and it says to MPs how many people are concerned mm -hmm. um, and that they're concerned enough that they're saying, yes, I agree with Greenpeace or mm -hmm. I don't agree. So I think form submissions can be good. We don't often get them on tax bills. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But certainly what I saw was quite a lot of individuals took the time to yeah. write the lost ring fence. There were obviously, there were two points they were making actually, it was quite interesting. One was the obvious one, please don't do this yeah. because it will affect us. Yeah. The other one was, um, there was a number of people who said, at that stage, we didn't know what was going to happen with the tax working group's recommendations yeah. and the government's response to that. Yeah, I know that. 
let's move on. Yeah. Um, but they were saying, is this, um, should, do we need to do this if there's going to be a capital gains tax? Because that was, yeah. by, by widespread, was accepted that that was going to happen. If, just hypothetical, it's, it's a bit of a hypothetical, yeah. but if the government had said we are going to proceed with the capital gains tax on residential property, how what would have happened to the loss ring fencing at that point? Do you think that might have said, well, let's just park that for now? The loss ring fencing would have been parked, but I could see one way through it would have been to say, well, you can you've got to still got to carry your losses forward and write them off against future profits, but you might also have been able to write them off against any um, capital gain on sale. Yep. So that one way or another those losses could get used up. That makes conceptual sense to me because mm. you're talking about the uh, gain and value from a, a property over time, yeah. which includes both the short-term rental income and the long-term capital gain. Mm. Economic gains. Yeah. Economy, yeah, that's itself. right. I mean, as it turns out, we're not we're not going down that capital gains route anymore. Yeah. So um, I think that makes a more powerful case for loss ring fencing, actually. Probably. Yeah. Um, loss ring fencing was an issue in the Australian election that um, but they, the, the scale of what goes on there is unbelievable. They, I think they were talking about the tax effect for them. They do have higher tax rates, and it is a bigger country. But it was still, I've seen numbers as high as 13 billion Australian dollars. Uh, whether that's the gross deductions, but you're still talking of, of substantial whack. Three, three billion to 13 billion in the ranges I saw. Wow, and you can do a lot with a billion dollars of tax revenue. Yeah, even yeah. in a country as big as Australia, yeah. Yeah. like giving New Zealanders the vote for starters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, quick political jab there at our so-called mates across the ditch. Yeah. Um, anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, so that's the legislative process. So people can get involved in there. Yeah. And you can, in the course of a legislation, a piece, a piece of bill, a piece of work comes up, a legislation, you can actually also say, while you're looking at it, because I think the, the, it remedial matters, yeah. is it? you can actually go in there and say, hang on, there's an issue here. It's not in the bill, but I think you should look at that. Yeah. And you've had that once or twice, even from individuals as well. Um, I'm just trying to think of one of the, mo the most recent um, bill, uh, PEPANS, the Petroleum Exporters and Producers Association on, of New Zealand, uh, pointed out a little wrinkle uh, in a particular exemption they had to do with oil rigs and that exemption uh, was to do with whether or not an oil rig here is a permanent establishment. Oh yes, right? that, that's a long-standing yeah. issue. And so, so they had to, to get around the rules, they had to shift the oil rigs out of New Zealand every 182 days yep. or something like that. <laughs> There's a lot of you know, time and effort and money spent doing that. And so we, there's an exemption and it's, it's, it's been in there for um, quite a few years now. It just needs to be rolled over every five years. Uh, yes, the two double tax agreements do talk on that. Yeah. Like, for example, I think, I remember, I think it was the Australian Treaty had a um, permanent establishment did include an oil rig. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, we've got that little exemption. Mm -hmm. um, and some people say, why well, are you giving anything to the um, the oil producing industry? And I, I, I'm kind of sympathetic to that view, given what's happening with our climate. Uh, but equally, we're pretty keen on making sure that as we transition away from an oil-based economy, that we actually don't 
um, well, we do it slowly and carefully so that we don't ruin people's lives. There is, um, yeah, just as an aside, that's quite important. Yeah. I mean, there is the, one of the interesting things I came across in business was the scale of the expertise down in Taranaki mm. on this. You have something that is actually very common in Germany where you have, so you have lots of, lots of small German companies, they call it the Mittelstaat, are actually the world's leading producers of a particular type of small ball bearing, which is used only in a particular type of uh, factory or uh, instrument in that, but they're highly specialized. And parts of the Taranaki were able to be replicating that. Oh. So the oil and gas scene. So that's it, and that's a sort of high value work. And I and I understand one of the things that would be could be interesting to watch is if we can transition as we transition out of a um, oil and gas and maybe into hydrogen, which has been in there, yeah. maybe the the expertise rolls over. But that's just just yeah. an aside, <laughs> useless bit. Not necessarily tax related, but hey, this is, a, this is a podcast. We'll go wherever we want. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, what people. Um, People have misconceptions about the system in your yeah. role in, in this, the led parliament's role in the system? Um, yes, I think they do in some ways. Um, often people think that an individual MP can change things um, mm -hmm. by themselves. And I mean, I've got lots of views on things which I'd like to see the parliament you know, enact, but I need is one of me and there are 120 MPs. Mm -hmm. So if I want to get something done, I need 60 friends to agree with me yeah all right so and that's um uh, so and that means i've got to persuade 60 people um and that's what our parties are of course they're blocks of votes um so uh people can come to me and say you've got to change that and i go well actually you know have a think about how the system works and in some ways people think that's terrible we need to be able to get things changed quickly in other ways, it's quite a good thing. You don't want one person to be able to erase in there and change everything. You actually need uh, a process that gathers consent mm -hmm. around um, particular issues. So I think that's one misconception that people have. Um, but equally, one MP can have an influence because we can go and talk to a minister or we can talk to officials and we can um, try to persuade them, not on the grounds of something, the table or anything like that, but actually on the, the sense or the logic of your views. Um, so we do get that access to uh, to the processes of change. So that's quite good. Um, what other misconceptions? Oh, people have misconceptions all over the place about tax, but you'd know all about that. Yes, yeah. yeah. Now, just on your talk, you mentioned about parties and you yeah. had to get 60 friends on board. But one of the things that probably people don't realise is most tax legislation goes through unopposed. Yeah. Uh, and although the, 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 the part, you, the, there will be some party debates, I imagine, but most of the time you're all working on that select yeah. committee and you're bringing your various viewpoints to it. Yeah. And yeah. It, is, it, it is truly bipartisan. There is, you know, unless, yeah. it, there, unless it's obviously a political measure, capital gains tax would have been that. Yeah. You would have clearly seen groups split off. Yeah. So was that... So you're often working across a group of and yeah, I've seen some really, um, you know, I've been in Parliament 18 months now. I've, I've seen some interesting cases of that. Uh, I think the, the National Party um, opposed or has opposed some tax bills recently. Now, the annual rates bills. You've got to oh, put yeah. the annual rates bill through. It's constitutional. Um, and they oppose them on the grounds that they say we should be cutting tax rates. Yes. So... That's what they do in the House. In the Select Committee, 
the same MPs who will vote against the bill as a whole in the House because that's what their party is doing. And we've all sat together and worked on issues um, and tried to sort some of the stuff out, like around the loss ring thing, mm-hmm. or around um, what to do about the GST measures. Um, I've seen uh, uh, opposition MPs saying, we totally oppose you guys on this, but here's how to fix this little bit of the legislation. I saw that in the Overseas Investment Act changes we put through um, a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. Um, with those, our our um, opposition members said, for political reasons, they totally oppose the bill, and here's how to make it better. So that's great, really, isn't it? It's and so select committees, um, you can have a good old argy-bargy across the table if you want to, but actually most of the time we are there trying to get something right. An enormous amount of work, though. I mean, what is your working day? Oh, look, so when the, you're in Wellington, it's, all right. it's non-stop. It is. So Wednesdays for me, like Tuesdays is the day I travel down. Uh, my Wednesdays, I usually get into the office at about 7 a.m. Um, into my office just to finish off, answer some emails, you know, finish off a bit of reading. First meeting is at 7.45 when uh, I meet with the other um government members of the finance and expenditure team to talk through what's on the business for that day. Um, then uh, at 8.45, we have our procedures meeting for the day. That's the Labour caucus uh, meeting. You don't have to be at it, but lots of us are, to work out what's coming up in the parliament that day, mm-hmm. who's going to be speaking on what bills. Um, by about 9.30, 10 o'clock, I'm in finance and expenditure committee, and that will run through till about one o'clock most of the time. So that's a three-hour meeting, sometimes longer. Mm-hmm. And then about one o'clock, my, my daughter usually comes to meet me for lunch <laughs> and I buy her a meal and give her money because that's my job as a parent. Um, mm-hmm. Then we're back in the house at two o'clock for question time. Mm-hmm. Um, to go through till about three o'clock. And then the house carries on its program and usually I will either be in the house speaking on a bill or I'll have meetings or I'll have reading to do. And we have a dinner break from 6 to 7.30, often have a meeting in that space, and then we work until 10 o'clock at night. So it's a long, long day. I, I figured out my three days in Wellington for a sitting week, uh, you normally get a 40-hour week done within those three days. That sounds like it from what I've seen. Yeah. Um, then, of course, you on the ground, you're back uh, at the weekends and long yeah. recess weeks, you're dealing with constituents. Right. So oh. today it's coming across here to do this with you, yeah. then I'm going to... Um, meeting with a constituent in my office, then I'm speaking at a graduation, then I'm off to visit one of my schools, and then I'm visiting a mosque. Oh. Yeah, so, yeah. I just, I mean, what constituents, uh, what tax issues do your constituents raise with you? And how, how yeah. much, uh, what proportion of that? Do you get a lot on that or not, not no. so many? Look, we very rarely get tax issues. Uh, constituents tend to go straight to IRD and to be, to IRD, they're pretty good at dealing with um, individual constituents' issues around tax mm-hmm. because they're often just around salary and wages and things like yeah. that. We get a few people approaching us over um, family support, which mm-hmm. of course inland revenue is involved in, sorry, child support, inland revenue is involved in collecting that. It's highly controversial to most. Uh, yeah. In my experience, it's one that really pushes everyone's pocket. It sure does. Toxic is nine times out of ten. It's not, it's not pretty. But family. Yeah. separations are no. so you know that's one of those things um i used to get uh, occasional queries about secondary tax um hopefully that will sort itself out i'll come on to that in a minute. yeah um 
And occasionally I get people who want to lobby me on a tax issue or they've got a particular view on monetary policy and they want to talk to an MP about it. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't get a lot of tax issues through my elected office. Look, the issues I'm dealing with tend to be immigration and housing. Right. Yeah. No, that yeah. would, um, that's right. Yeah. Um, just coming back on to um, oversight and FEC, you... You will get. You've had oversight of land revenue through its business transformation. Mm. You have the commissioner in fairly regularly. We do. And we do. And were you not getting monthly updates or on the progress of business transformation? This is uh, a new release, or frequently on. I that? don't think we were getting monthly updates. We, we were getting regular updates though, mm -hmm. um, and we've had. So we get the commissioner in for the annual review yeah. every year. Um, but in addition to that, um, she was coming in. She came in a couple of times to talk to us about the business transformation project um, because actually all of us were hearing concerns about it. Um, uh, you, know, you might have. <laughs> uh, <laughs> people who were concerned that IRD wasn't sufficiently geared up um, for, particularly for this latest changeover. Yes. Um, uh, and we did keep on asking questions about that. Mm. Uh, of the commissioner saying, how are you prepared for this? What's going to be happening with the changes? What are the fail safes you've got in place? So we had the commissioner there and the leaders of those projects in um, quite a number of times asking those sorts of questions. Um, it's gone smoothly enough, except for letters to children. Uh, oh, this, I've got to, I'm going to wrap up with the stories. There's going to be plenty of stories. I mean, I have some sympathy. It's a massive issue, the children yeah. issues. But there are one or two things that's gone on. I'm thinking, no, well, I think you ought to have handled that one better. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, <clears throat> they just as a, an aside, the, the tax agents community we're getting used to it, but we've all felt all along we mm. were never involved in the project as we should have been. Right. And mm. an IT consultant said that inland revenue, uh, maybe in a pro it, when it looked at who it was dealing with, it overlooked that tax agents are the biggest users of its platforms and therefore right. would be more effective than anybody else. Yeah, yeah. So probably were more integral. Mm -hmm. The one repeated uh, concern I keep hearing amongst tax agents is that the process has been done deliberately to cut tax agents out of the system completely. I don't go oh, I by, don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case, but I do think it is a byproduct of what I just said is that the system was looking at the wrong Customers. I don't like using the term here, but when it looked at what are your who are, who is your biggest single customer, mm -hmm. who are your most important customers, your regular users, eight, the eighty twenty rule would come in. Most taxpayers will have one interaction with the inland revenue, and it'd be this time of year when they want to see if they've got a refund due. The rest of the time, it's tax agents, and we're with them all the time. Yeah, and there's systems come in. They're a little bit clunky. That have happened. I'll, I'll have a wee story about that in a minute. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> And uh, that's my thoughts on that. I thought it was a, an insight into the whole process. But that said, Inland Revenue has been working pretty hard on this. Um, and <clears throat> there hasn't been, there's niggly things here, there are irritants, yeah. but there's no major malfunction, um, fingers crossed, that has happened. And when you think of the scale of the project, that's yeah. quite remarkable. Yes. Um, and what they'll have is a, a, a they'll be developing a list of faults that need to be fixed and they'll be working their way through them but mm. there seems to have been no major fault no. which means they've done pretty well in getting away from the old system and into their new system and, yes. you know, and that old system was held together with sellotape and paper clips. Uh, I remember about five six yeah. years ago 
not longer ago, I went to an airline review office and I actually got to see them, what they were looking at. And I thought, my God, I haven't seen a screen like that since 1986. Yeah. It was really clunky looking. Yeah. Um, and it probably, to be frank, this was um, a, a project probably should have started five years before it did. Yeah. Um, now, next week is the budget. Yes. So, and obviously, we're going to talk about this well, well-being budget and the rest of it. Now, as a backbencher, you probably don't get much insight to what's going on on that. Um, um, what, this will be your second budget. So what's a budget week like for, for a backbencher? To be honest, last year um, it was our first budget mm -hmm. as a government and uh, everyone was a bit nervous, not in terms of the content of the budget, but in just how was this all going to go. This year uh, it's almost feeling like, almost like a party almost. Um, now that's, I know that sounds odd, but going, okay, First of all, I've just sort of been saying that word budget is not a good word. We should be calling it the government's plan for the year. Um, but of course, it's got huge financial implications. Um, but I, I, I've just been realising people don't quite understand what the budget is. They don't understand what it is as the government saying, Here are we, here's where we're going to be doing our really hard work and here's what it's going to cost. Um, um, but anyway, this year we're sort of going, okay, it's budget day on Thursday. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing uh, the Minister of Finance's speech. Uh, we're pretty confident about what we're doing as a government. Um, and uh, he'll deliver a speech and we'll have a little meeting of finance and expenditure committee to divvy up some responsibilities to other committees. And um, then we might have a drink. <laughs> so on the day, what happens? Do you get, because um, for those yeah. who don't know, with budget processes like this, we if you ever wondered why at two o'clock when the, when the finance minister stands up, all these experts on TV seem to know exactly what he's saying. That's because we've been quarantined away in the um, beehive from 10.30 beforehand with the actual budget papers. So we've all been through it. Mm. So there's a frantic hive of activity goes on there. We've got our stories written. Uh, my understanding, what happens to you? Do you get told in advance this is what's going to be in the budget or is you sit down at two o'clock and think okay what has grant got for us today well of course there's a series of pre-budget announcements already yeah. so we know a lot of what's in the budget already mm -hmm. we've been talking about um well-being it's the well-being budget we've yeah. been talking about it for some months we've done some work in finance and expenditure committee on what well-being means so we're, we're fairly well up on the broad framework that we we've got there for how our budget is framed However, in terms of getting the actual budget documents and the like, for us it's um, one o'clock. Right? And yeah. we, we go into a, a similar sort of lockup. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I don't think the Minister of Finance will be there, but um, his senior offsiders will be there to talk us through the issue. So we get a chance to sit down, look through the budget documents, and see what um, the, the, the details of stuff. Yeah. So this budget's a, a, it's called well-being budget, mm. but it's built around delivering standards framework, which has attracted a lot of attention around the world on that. Yeah. And it's something that sort of takes a little bit to get your head around it, but yeah. conceptually the four capitals. Um, so that, that's, that's Treasury's living standards. Yeah. So and Treasury's been working on it for quite some time. Yes, this is something so, that just didn't happen with the change of government. Yeah. Um, but what we've sort of said is... Um, that we, we actually really do need to measure how government is doing, not just in terms of GDP or growth, but we really need to have some of those measures up front and centre. And that's what the wellbeing budget will do. Like mm. The number of people in 
employment, the number of people who are educated to a particular level, the number of homes that are warm and dry, you know, um, those sorts of issues of uh, measures of well-being. And it, it goes back to um, work that's done by people like Amartya Sen and Martha Nussbaum, looking at enabling people to exercise their capabilities to and to lead lives that they value and have reason to value. It's, um, it's, so it's trying to get a much more holistic approach to the way we do our budgets. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that seems probably a, a good point. A, to, happy a happy note. Um, right. Well, so special prize for those who listen through. This is a book that uh, Deborah and I co-authored, Tax and Fairness. Um, it is we've autographed it, so it, I'll mail it out to the first person who listens to, listens to the podcast who emails me at info at voucher tax. Uh, info at voucher.tax and I will send you an autographed copy of Tax and Fairness. That's the week in tax this week. Next week we'll be talking about the budget, but until then, Kakiti Anno. Thank you.